0: what's going on everybody welcome back once again to the passing downs podcast i'm your host rahul potty i'm here with my co-host pd pd say what's up what's up all right we're back with another episode of our reviews and previews just like we've been doing all year but this one's obviously going to be special because as you guys all definitely know it's playoffs and we had a very exciting wild card weekend that we're about a review right now and then we'll talk about the divisional matchups which I think might be even better but we'll get started with the one of the less fun matchups to watch but my favorite as a Niners fan and I'll let PD get in with the goat and start talking about Brock Purdy.
1: Yeah, okay. Um so let's let's start off with Brock Purdy. Um this this game didn't start off well for Purdy. Um he missed a wide open guy. Um it was Debo Samuel was wide, wide open, and he threw it like 15 yards behind him, and and um, it, it was just it was just not good to look at. But um, that wasn't all. Uh, after hitting a wide open Ayuk, the um, ball was behind him again, but it was a completion. He missed another open receiver in Juwan Jennings. Um, this time, underthrowing him um, after a miscommunication. Uh, he completed a short pass to Elijah Mitchell, which was a pretty good throw. Um, and then another short pass to Christian McCaffrey. And that one turned into a touchdown. So didn't do too much work on, on that touchdown drive. But it starts getting better for Purdy. Because on the next drive, he throws to a wide-open uh A little bit high, but it's a good pass nonetheless because it's 19 yards down the field. Um, then he completes a short pass to George Kittle. Uh, and then another one to Christian McCaffrey, and that, and but both of them were were reasonably impressive to me, um, because the ball was placed pretty well. Um, he then took a sack that I didn't think was his fault, and then another short completion uh, to Debo Samuel, um, and then an incompletion, and then um, maybe his second best throw of the day, um, where he's throwing deep outside, uh, deep outside the hashes. And to Ayuk, 20 yards down the field and Ayuk turns that into a 31 yard gain. Um, after a couple of incompletions, one which was pretty off target, um, he hits Debo Samuel again across the middle. Uh, four yards down the field and Debo turns it into an 18 yard gain. Um, after a couple of throwaways, which I didn't really know what he was doing, um, he throws one up for, for Debo. Uh, the corner makes a great play on it. There wasn't really much separation um, and that's his last play of the half the second half, he really turns it up, though. Um, he has a short completion to Kyle Juszczyk and then a quick scramble. And then he throws a decent pass to George Kittle um, down the middle of the field a little bit. Um, <coughs> Kittle's wide open. It's a little bit behind, but it's too far down the field for it to not be a high-impact play. Um, and then we close out the third quarter with a nice throw to Devo Samuel uh, inside the numbers again. Um, fourth quarter opens up with a throw down the, the left sideline to Juwan Jennings. Um, he is open and the pass is way ahead of him, um, leads him back to the inside and, and forces him to take a hit. So I wish that ball was better placed, but it is a high impact play. Um, and then after a few short completions that weren't very high impact, he hits Debo Samuel, who's wide open and is a little bit behind him. And Debo takes that for a 74 yard touchdown. Um, after... A, dec- uh, a pretty good throw, actually, uh, to Juwan Jennings here. And I, and I say it's pretty good, even though he's wide open, because uh, Purdy throws this like super early, maybe five yards before uh, Juwan Jennings is out of his break, and that was pretty impressive to me. And then on his final pass, he makes the best throw of the day by far. Um, it's a play-action pass, and they kind of roll him out to the left, and he just starts to scramble and create. He makes a couple of guys miss um, after the pressure gets to him because he's holding the ball because no one's open on that side. Um, he sprints all the way back um, to to the right side of the field, um, makes another guy miss for his third uh, third evaded pressure on the play, and throws to the corner of the end zone to Ayuk, um, which is 22 yards past the line of scrimmage. And Ayuk just stonehand drops it, and, and this was into a tight window with a defender right in front of Ayuk, and Purdy manages to get the ball around him, only for Ayuk to just drop it. So that was an extremely high impact pre- impact play, and. Yeah, that, that play kind of um, really impressed me from Purdy. So overall, um, I'd say that there were a lot of plays where uh, the Niners receivers were schemed wide open and uh, Purdy didn't have to do too much. But there were a few plays here and there where Purdy was, was pretty impressive. Um, and I don't think this level of play will sustain itself against um, higher level defenses like Dallas or maybe the Eagles if the Eagles get to the next round and uh, the Niners do. But um, I was, for, for a Mr. Irrelevant, I am incredibly impressed with Purdy, that, that's for sure. And there are some things that he needs to work on. I'm not a fan of uh, his habits in the pocket. He tends to drift a lot. He tends to leave the pocket early quite a bit. Um, and I think his ball placement could be better. I'm seeing a lot of discussion about Purdy being inaccurate versus accurate. And I think um, I, I lean a little bit more towards, he's throwing catchable passes, but... They're not perfectly placed. And so there's improvement here for Purdy, but any improvement would, would probably be pretty scary for the rest of the league because they're already dropping, what, 30 points a game. So, yeah, that, that, that's my thoughts on Purdy here.
0: Yeah, I like a lot of what you said about Purdy there because uh, with me having a huge vested interest in him, he's my favorite team's quarterback, I've been looking at a lot of what the internet's been saying, and for de- for whatever reason, he was kind of like uh a positive figure throughout his regular season run. But after this playoff uh, win, he's starting to become very polarizing where I see like a lot of Niners Twitter, look at his stats and blindly compare him to like elite quarterbacks start overrating him. But at the same time, I'm seeing a lot of fans of like opposing teams, especially like Cowboys fans coming up completely discrediting him and saying he's been completely carried. And I think a lot of what you said is true because he's somewhere in the middle there. His success is obviously carried by this incredible supporting cast that he's had. But he's also shown a lot of good. And as you said, for Mr. Irrelevant, he's been incredibly, incredibly impressive. There's obviously a a lot of problems with him. That's why he went so late in the draft. Uh, You mentioned his pocket awareness. He always does this weird thing when under pressure, he like turns his back and tries to spin around out of the pocket instead of just simply running or moving around. It's really weird movement, and I'm not sure why he does it. Uh, His downfield accuracy is a bit questionable. As we saw a lot this game, he missed maybe three, four touchdowns, and even that big uh, Jawan Jennings play that you talked about uh, he threw the ball way too, uh, way too into the field when Juan Jennings was open down the sideline. So there's definitely a lot to work on, but obviously he's shown that with this good of a team around him, he is able to be good enough to kind of be an engine to this high-powered offense. And maybe I'm cutting him a bit too much slack because of his story, obviously I know that him being the last pick in the draft, but I do think for what he was expected to do, he's vastly overperformed, and we just kind of need to take that into account moving forward.
1: Yeah, I totally agree there. Um, Why don't you get us started on yeah. Gino Smith?
0: And his opponent in this one, Gino Smith, who after a rough patch to end the year, Gino still did just enough earlier in the year. Uh, along with the rest of the Seahawks, obviously, to just sneak into the playoffs. And this wasn't the best matchup for him, given the last two outings against the Niners, which we've talked about. Uh, He didn't really look good in either of them. And at face value, stats in this one looked solid. He was 25 for 35, uh, threw for 253 yards, uh, two touchdowns and a pick and a fumble, kind of a normal game for Gino, maybe slightly below average statistically. But I would say the film kind of tells a different story in terms of uh, how poorly he played, uh, especially in the second half. Uh, early in the first quarter, we see him uh, start off poorly. On a third and two, I felt like he had DK open underneath on what was like a drag type of route. And he just held the ball too long and allowed Eric Armstead to break free and sack him. uh, Killed that drive early. And with the Niners coming out and scoring early, the Seahawks kind of needed something to answer. So it was a bit of an issue, them starting slow. Uh, In the middle of the first quarter, in their second drive, we see much of the same lack of success. Uh, On another third and two, the Seahawks call a, a read option for whatever reason. Uh, it was a really weird play call, especially the formation. They had like a fullback and Kenneth Walker uh, in the backfield with Gino and like a pistol. And Gino ends up deciding to keep it. But uh, And it wasn't really a bad decision to keep it because the Niners had both things covered. But this, Gino keeping it, uh, came nowhere close to getting the two yards they needed. He was nowhere near getting the edge on Gibson. And they ended up killing another drive. But I'd say that was a lot more on the play calling. Uh, and later in the first quarter, this is where you start to see the Seahawks offense turn up a bit, and this is when they ended up making the game a little close. Uh, we see Gino start the drive with a good play on a third and five. Uh, he steps up in the pocket when he was under a lot of pressure and delivers a tight window slant pass to DK for, for a first and a little bit more. Uh, later in the same drive, we see him pick up a first with his legs and a couple of more easy completions. Uh, but a lot of this drive was just dominated by Kenneth Walker's rushing ability and kind of just gashing that Niners defense, surprisingly enough. And he's the one who ended up getting them a lot of those yards to get downfield, and he scored that touchdown. So not much from Gino there, but he still contributed with a couple of easy open completions. Uh, mid-second quarters, uh, after a long uh, 49er drive, Gino gets the ball back. And he really shifts the momentum here, where even though it's early, the Seahawks—you kind of felt like they had their backs against the wall the way they've been playing. And Gino really delivered here because on a third and five, uh, from uh, a third and three from around the fifty, uh, we see Gino stay in the pocket and deliver an absolute dime to DK streaking down the left side of the line. Uh, DK only had about a step on Charvarius Ward, but and. Uh it is a lot of space, but it's tough for some quarterbacks to make, but Gino drops it in right at the perfect spot for DK to grab it and just keep in stride for a touchdown. Does a huge play that get ended up giving them the lead. Uh and then late in the half we kind of see him get bailed him and the whole Seahawks team get a little bailed out. Cause on that last drive as the uh, as time was ending, Gino runs for about ten yards. And he would have been stopped shy of even the 50-yard line, but for whatever reason, uh, Jimmy Ward makes one of the dumbest decisions I've ever seen uh, and just hits Gino after he's slid out of nowhere. Uh, it was very late, too. I really don't know what he was thinking. But uh, Gino doesn't do much to, I guess, get that 15-yard penalty, but that does put them in field goal range and gives them the lead going into half, which was pretty important uh Gino gets the ball back in the middle of the third quarter after the Niners end up taking a lead with a long touchdown drive and Gino responds with a bootleg pass going left where he finds a wide open DK in space who uh, keeps running for about a 30-yard play he has another really good pass on a third and 12 where DK has little to no space on Charverius Ward again on like a slant and we know with DK he's a big guy, he doesn't really generate space as fast as some of your smaller receivers, but Gino put it right on him, so much so that he even bobbled it and fell forward for a first because of how much the defender was on him. He ends the drive with the one and only thing he really couldn't have done in this situation, and honestly, this kind of ends the game and kills their momentum that they were really had going, and this could have been a back-and-forth game, but in a red zone on the third down... He's under pressure very quickly and doesn't really have anyone open, but he absolutely has to be more careful with the ball here because he kind of just has it hanging on his two arms as he moves in the pocket. And uh, Omenuhu comes in, punches it out, uh, and the Niners recover. It kills an absolutely crucial drive where the Seahawks were really going too. Like They were moving the ball well, and it essentially ruined their game because it's right after this the game becomes a blowout uh he doesn't get the ball again till early in the fourth quarter and this was another disappointing drive because the Seahawks were down two scores and uh they end up punting quick Gino does come out with an absolute 20 yard laser to DK on the comeback route uh where he showed very good anticipation but a penalty backed them up on the next set of downs and forced a quick punt and after that 74-yard score we saw from Debo, that highlight play, uh, the game was essentially over, but Gino, I guess he really wanted to seal the deal on the game being over. Because on an out or comeback type of concept, or he threw it towards Lockett, but there was Lenore right there smothered all over Lockett, but Gino still chose to throw there. And he threw it outside the numbers with very low velocity. It didn't really zip in there. And it was one of the easiest picks for Lenore to just jump in and grab. By far, Gino's worst decision of the day. And that essentially ends the game. At that point, it was 38-17 in the fourth uh, with the Niners having the ball. He does have another touchdown scoring drive with some solid throws. But the game was over at this point. It was versus backups. Didn't really matter. Overall, looking at Gino, I think this kind of sums up his season in a way, and I think we see that with a couple of quarterbacks where he did have a lot of highlight throws, a lot of ups and big plays that he made in very important situations as well, but ultimately, his inability to keep the ball and not in harm's way and just being very uh turnover prone cost them two costly turnovers in very important parts especially that fumble is what ended up losing them this one and that's kind of been the tale of Gino all year and we saw it once again
1: yeah um I, I want to make reference to the Pro Bowl podcast update that we did and um I t- I said Gino had dropped out of my uh Pro Bowl candidates uh because of this very issue where he just continued to put the ball in harm's way without making enough big plays and I think in this game he actually did make a number of pretty good throws. But, again, it's it's just not enough against uh, this Niners team where putting the ball in harm's way once is quite a lot, but twice is just a dead sentence. And that's kind of what happened here uh, for Gino. Yeah, So absolutely. looking forward to seeing what he does next season. We'll, we'll have a more detailed talk when we do his episode um, or the Seahawks QB room episode um, when we do our recaps of all the, all the QB rooms. Um, but let's move on to um, – Maybe, maybe the most interesting storyline of the week, uh, in my opinion, um, and that is Justin Herbert's performance against the Chargers. Um, this is going to sound pretty repetitive, but I really do want to go through it all just to just to get through get to like how how poor uh, this Chargers offense was executing for pretty much the whole game, and how, how much their defense was was really powering their attack. So um, let's start in the first quarter, where after. A Trevor Lawrence turnover. Um, the Chargers get field position at or, or Herbert's first pass comes from the 80 or not the 82 yard line, the opponent's uh, 18 yard line. Um, and he throws a short pass to Donald Parham, which goes for five yards. He throws a short pass to DeAndre Carter um, that goes for three yards. And then he throws uh, one at the line of scrimmage to Everett, who breaks one or, or no, that's on the next drive. Uh, on the next drive, he throws one to Everett at the line of scrimmage, who breaks one for twenty three yards. Um, and then he has an incompletion to to Palmer deep down the field. Um, he's covered, and uh, he puts it in. I, I guess the best spot that you could, but like, there's there's no there's no positive play that can be generated there. Um, he's just totally covered, and I'm not sure uh, what the timing of that play was, or whether Herbert should have thrown it earlier, but. Um, there was just no opportunity for a completion. Um, the rest of the, the rest of the first quarter, um, there's an interme- intermediate completion, and then a litany of short completions or uh, one incomplete pass where Herbert threw a poor pass to to Palmer um, on a drag route, and it was behind him. Um, starting off the second quarter, I did another sh- another short completion to uh, this time it's it's Parham at the line of scrimmage, and then the first pass that goes beyond. Uh, 10 yards and exactly actually completed um, this one's to parham outside the numbers and he throws a really nice ball high and away from the defender uh, for the first down uh, after taking a sack that wasn't really his fault he again goes towards the middle of the field uh, this time to keenan allen uh, who's open but it's a good throw regardless um, and then one of his best throws of the day um, this one's a tight window throw outside the numbers to, to palmer I believe this one was a back shoulder one and um, he puts it right on the money for a uh, 13 yard gain after Palmer uh, breaks that, that uh, breaks off for yards to catch. Um, after an incompletion where uh, Herbert was at, at fault for an interceptable pass where he came off of play action off a three-step drop under center and he's kind of fired a seam to, to par him, but uh, the defender was right there and make a, made a great break on the ball to to, to tip it to um, his, his teammate, and that should have been intercepted. Um, he throws a pass af- on the next drive to Eckler that's five yards behind the line of scrimmage, then a short one that's four yards past the line of scrimmage to Everett, then another pass that's behind the line of scrimmage by six yards to Kelly, and then a three-yard pass to Donald Parham. And then after a throwaway, and a pass where he airmails Keenan Allen by maybe 10 yards, um, when he's wide open in the end zone, um, he throws a batted ball and has another short completion. Um, this time it's, um, to Keenan Allen, at least he's like seven yards down the field. So that's not as horrible, but, um, pass was a little bit ahead of, of a little bit ahead of him. Um. I mentioned the batted ball. That was a theme in this game. He had four passes that were batted, which is a really, really high number for a single game. Um, So let's move on to the second half where it's more of the same. And, okay, six yards past the line of scrimmage, three yards past the line of scrimmage, two yards behind the line of scrimmage, five yards past the line of scrimmage, six yards past the line of scrimmage, five yards behind the line of scrimmage. Those are Herbert's next seven targets. It isn't until very late in the third quarter with five minutes left, he targets past 10 yards. And this one is to Everett. And it should have been an incompletion because Herbert threw the pass. Um, The defender is 1v1 and he has his back turned. So Herbert can put the ball anywhere. Um, And he kind of just puts it a little bit out of reach for Everett. And it should have been an incomplete pass. But the refs didn't really uh, pay attention then. Um, After a throwaway on the next play where he tries to kind of hurry up the offense and make sure the refs don't review it. Um, he has another short completion to Everett, who breaks, breaks it off for 25 yards of uh, yak. Um, and then he has a couple of passes where, first one, he gets hit while throwing and then throws it away. In the fourth quarter, um, he has Palmer wide open, 13 yards past the line of scrimmage, and he hits him. That's a nice pass. And then he takes a sack that I didn't think it was his fault. And then he attempts a pass to Keenan Allen. That was a tight window throw down the field uh, outside the numbers, but uh, he overthrows him. After a nice scramble that picks up a first down on a critical third and nine, um, we move to another pass where his uh, he gets batted down. And then on a second and 15, he throws a nice pass to Trey McKitty, who's wide open, and he rumbles for 11 yards. On this third and four, then, makes a really nice play um, to Keenan Allen, goes through the read nicely and uh, hits him for six yards um and then uh something interesting happens because herbert has a throw away and then we reach the final drive so on the first play he doesn't really have a chance he's pressured in two and a half seconds and he takes a sack for a loss of seven yards here after a called screen to eckler he on third and 13 he checks down three yards pa- uh three yards past the line of scrimmage on third and 13. Um, to to Joshua Kelly, who can only muster eight yards, and this was this is kind of my issue um, with the Chargers' offense and Herbert as well. We've been referencing it for a long, long time, but I just feel like he doesn't put his foot on the gas enough, and the Chargers' offense doesn't allow him to have those opportunities be schemed up, really. And I, I went through the game log as much as as rigorously as possible, just to show. Kind of how many of these passes and how frequently they happened where Herbert was throwing the ball way behind the line of scrimmage or barely in front of the line of scrimmage. And I just think that this this is not the way to work. Um, This is not the way to find great offense in the league. Um, In order for defenses to kind of respect you, you need to be able to threaten them down the field. And I guess it would have helped for them to have Mike Williams and help stop the bleeding that was going on in this game. But uh, even with the lack of Mike Williams, I think that testing uh, these defenses um, deeper down the field, there were only three, uh, three, no two passes where Herbert threw past 20 yards. And that, that number is just that, that that's just very concerning to me. Only one pass, one pass additionally uh, uh, other than those two where the ball traveled past 15 yards. And so they're working totally in the short and intermediate area Um, and that is just not a way to sustain great offense. And you kind of saw it, um, the, the offense scored three points in total in the second half. And I think Herbert and the scheme are at fault, probably more the scheme, but we're seeing a growing sample of, of this kind of issue with Herbert and, um, yeah, pretty disappointing performance overall. Um, I would have liked to see more of him from this entire playoff run, but clearly that didn't happen.
0: Yeah, as someone who's talked about Burrow be or oh, not Burrow, sorry Herbert being my guy, like throughout the year, uh, it's really disappointing to see a performance like this. Cause I remember very vividly, uh, coming into the year in our uh preseason type episode, our comments on Burrow were like or on Herbert. I don't know why I keep making that making that mistake. Our comments on Herbert were literally that this year to ascend into that next level all he's got to do is learn how to make that uh kind of make that change from being a primarily conservative quarterback to going towards being that guy who knows when to push it downfield and when to be conservative and we saw that a little bit with Lawrence in the second half and i do think that's something that Herbert should have developed by now and i know the play calling is definitely holding him back uh, I love that. I believe they already fired Brandon Staley, and uh, if they haven't, Joe I Lombardi, not, not
1: not not Staley, uh, Lombardi.
0: Oh, sorry, Joe Lombardi. Uh, but I do think that's part of the problem. And I think another thing that PD slightly mentioned that kind of went under the radar. I felt like was mentioned a little bit, but not as much as I would have liked. Uh, the fact that going into a meaningless Week 18 matchup, they played an injury-prone Mike Williams who they knew was very integral to this offense uh, in the playoffs, and they still end up playing him in a meaningless matchup. He ends up getting hurt, doesn't play in this one, and it's a clear indicator in their offense. I mean, we saw earlier in the year when the Mike Williams was out, uh, the absence of him looked even worse than them not having Keenan Allen because that deep ball uh, aspect that we want to see out of Herbert He's pretty much the only person on this roster aside from maybe a Josh Palmer who can provide that for Herbert and even Josh Palmer is not particularly the best route runner or a uh, contested catcher so even he's not necessarily he's gonna have to beat you with your speed so even then Herbert definitely did not have the weapons around him to have a deep game and I do believe that but at the same time you've always got to have that threat even with the worse or weapons we've seen other guys when they've got weapons go down still kind of make do and still be able to attack all aspects of the field and herbert simply didn't do that and ironically enough his conservative play call or conservative passing ended up killing this game in which if he was a bit more aggressive they ended up scoring a few more points here and there Obviously, they're winning this one, especially with that 27-0 lead that the defense absolutely gifted them early on. Uh, They really should not have blown that, and I am also disappointed in Herbert for what he did, but hopefully he can bounce back next year. I'm still rooting for the guy. Uh, Any other thoughts on Herbert?
1: Uh, not really. Um you you can move on to, to the more entertaining quarterback yeah. in this game, I think.
0: And I'll, yeah, I'll move on to definitely the more interesting quarterback in this matchup who after an incredibly up and down season where we saw Lawrence play really strong, especially towards the end, but there's also a lot of games where he really struggled. And I kinda felt like watching this we saw essentially a recap of his entire season. Summed up in one game versus the Chargers team. Because what I just said about his season exactly happened in this game. Uh, Because of his inconsistency, his stats look kind of all over the place. He went 28 for 47, which a lot of incompletions there. But still threw for 288 yards and four touchdowns. But also four picks, which all came in the first half too. So we'll see in this game why it went like this. Because obviously at face value uh his stats sound very odd uh early in the first we see Lawrence kind of throw his first pick in that very first drive and this one I don't blame him a lot because the ball gets slapped by Joey Bosa at the line of scrimmage and picked off by a linebacker uh he seems to have Christian Kirk open here and I think he has the right idea in going to him so I can't blame him too much for the decision. He probably should have thrown the ball in a window a little bit more left to get away from even being near Joe, uh, Joey Bosa. But Lawrence is six six, so the whole tipped pass is, is rarely a problem. But Joey Bosa is just amazing, so he made this insane play. Uh, But this was one of the picks where I didn't really feel it was his fault, which I can't really say about the others because... After that pick, the Chargers, we see them take early uh, touchdown lead uh, early in the first, and the Jags do drive a little bit to respond the very following drive, but then pretty soon we see Tragedy strike again because on a 4th and 7, pretty deep in Chargers territory, I might add. Uh, Trevor Lawrence throws another pick, and this one was to Asante Samuel. Uh, It was on a comeback where he simply just missed the target or... There seemed to be a little bit of confusion with him and Zay Jones. Zay Jones throws his arms up immediately after. So it was either a slight inaccurate pass from Lawrence or he just didn't know what Zay was running or where he was going. Either way, it seems like Lawrence messes up here and he throws a pick in a very crucial drive and crucial play. Uh, The Chargers end up getting a field goal only out of this pick, though. And Lawrence gets the ball in the late first quarter, down 10-0. And he screws up once again. Because on a third and five, we see Ingram running a drag underneath. And maybe he thinks the Chargers were in man coverage for whatever reason and thought Evan was running away from a defender and was open. But the Chargers were pretty clearly in a zone. And Evan was running right into a flat pep zone that Asante Samuel was in. So Lawrence kind of throws it exactly at the spot Asante Samuel was, and he picks up probably one of the easiest interceptions of his life. And at this point, Lawrence looks absolutely shook. Uh, The last two interceptions, you could kind of see something going wrong. This one just looked like a plain, like, straight-up brain freeze. I don't know what he was thinking. And his confidence definitely looked a bit shook. Uh, Early in the second, we see... Lawrence clearly rattled because they go for a quick three and out. And on that third down play, he seems to have Kirk open on the sideline. And I even think he had Engram briefly over the middle, but he holds on too long, doesn't make a decision, and he runs into pressure for a sack and eventually a punt. Uh, just another example of Lawrence's confidence. Lawrence's confidence feeling a little down at this time. Um, in the middle of the second, down 24 now, they, the Jags come out and get a huge kickoff return to and get to the 50, but we see Lawrence fuck up once again, and this time it was probably the worst of the lot, because he throws into double coverage where I felt like Evan Ingram had no space at all, and Lawrence probably threw it closer to the defender, if anything, and he gives Asante Samuel here a third pick on him, uh, yeah, I at this point I had no idea what was going on, uh. But late in the second, down twenty seven, we finally see the Jags and Lawrence put something together. But because kind of finally wakes up, I don't know what happened. But this drive, you see the tide kind of turn. Uh, they do go end up uh, end up going downfield, kind of just letting Lawrence get his confidence back up. They called a lot of streams to ETN or like dump offs to Engram or Kirk quick and just let them get in space and make moves, kind of how the Jags have been playing all year. And as the half ends, you see Lawrence start to become himself again on the touchdown pass because he throws his first really impressive throw of the day. uh, First of many, I will say, but this was his first one. Uh, He finds Engram and puts it high enough for Kenneth Murray, who's standing at the goal line to not be able to touch it, and Engram in the back of the end zone's able to just go up and snag it. And great job by Engram, too, holding on despite getting hit by Darren James. But that was huge for them, picking up that touchdown before the half because they come out in the second half swinging once again. Early in the third, we see Lawrence start to really get going and play his game. Uh, he has three quick completions, the first one to Kirk, and then he hits Ingram twice, uh, all on in-breaking type of routes. And then that gets them downfield inside the 10 on a third and goal. We see Lawrence do a fantastic job of going through his progressions because it seems like the Jags, what they wanted on that play wasn't really there on that right side of the field. But he ends up looking to the other side and finds a wide open Marvin Jones in the back of the end zone. who Kind of just got lost from the defense. And this touchdown cuts the lead to 27-14 and kind of begins to come back because they did have plenty of time left. Uh, late in the third, Lawrence gets the ball back after a long charger drive where they make it 30 to 14 and Lawrence starts it by just playing his game that we've seen him do all year and hitting Marvin Jones underneath, hitting Kirk underneath. But at about midfield, we see the Chargers slip up in coverage just a little bit. Their defense screws up and Lawrence absolutely takes advantage because they leave Zay Jones wide open, like no one within five yards on a post corner and Lawrence just nails him on the money for a 40 yard touchdown before the quarter ends. And that was huge because they needed big plays to come back into this one. And this was that big break they needed. Uh, That cuts it to 30 to 20. They do go for two and Lawrence makes the bad decision to throw to Zay Jones, despite Asante Samuel being all over him. And to be quite honest, he got away with a little bit of a hold Asante did, But in general, he was all over that and tips the ball out. So the score stays 30 to 20. Uh, And then here's where things kind of heat up because this is where Lawrence kind of takes over. Uh, In the middle of the fourth, we see the Chargers miss a field goal, keeping it only 30 to 20. And I guess ultimately what loses them the game. And uh, Lawrence returns when he gets the ball back. Back-to-back short passes to both Zay Jones and then Christian Kirk for first, and that takes them across to 50. Uh, He follows this with another pretty well-timed out route to Kirk where he shows good anticipation and picks up another 15. And then another quick five-yard in route to an open Evan Ingram who runs not only for a first but continues to go and gets them inside the red zone to the 10. And on a 2nd and goal, we see one of Lawrence's Probably one of his most accurate passes of the night, in my opinion, where he hits an out route and he was on the left hash mark mark, and uh, he throws this all the way to the right side of the end zone. And usually out routes, you like to throw it on the short side of the field because it's an incredibly hard throw. But Lawrence, having obviously the great arm he does and great pinpoint accuracy, he puts this right on the money with a DB all over Christian Kirk. And Lawrence just lost it to him where the DB didn't even have a chance. And that cuts the score to 30 to 26. And after a penalty, uh, I believe it was like taunting or something. Uh, It makes their two point conversion start at the one yard line. So Lawrence kind of just uses his massive six, six frame to just reach over for the two point conversion. He literally just snaps the ball and puts it over the goal line. It was crazy to see. And, makes it look easy, and now it's 30-28. to 28. And late in the fourth, we see Lawrence get the ball back down two with about three to go, and this is where him and the Jags ice it. Uh, He starts with a quick five-yard comeback to Christian Kirk, who takes that for a first, and then he hits a leaping Kirk on an out route, very similar to the one they just scored on the previous touchdown, again with the defender all over him, but Lawrence puts it outside right where only Kirk had a chance to go up and grab that while the DB still was trying to trail him. And at this point, the Jags are at the 50 with two minutes to go, obviously down two. So they just elected to run the ball, get as close of a field goal as possible. They centered it, and Lawrence doesn't throw another pass, but they do win off a 36-yard field goal, which Lawrence did obviously contribute to about half of. And Lawrence pulls off this unlikely unlikely historical comeback in a massive turn of events. Uh, overall, though, on his performance, absolutely phenomenal second half, but he really, really needs to build consistency. And I've been talking this about this all year with Lawrence. Even in his good stretch, he was having uh, that occasional dud. And even within his single-game performances, he will have these just weird, uncharacteristic plays. And for this game it lasted about a half and this that's something he's definitely got to change that's not something he can keep doing long term he's a great second half guy he's clutch but that's not just it's just not winning football it's not something you can rely on especially against better teams like if they come out and play this way the Chiefs are not going to keep this game because Mahomes and that Chiefs offense is a different beast to this Chargers offense so We'll see how that goes, but overall, salt, great second half from Lawrence, though.
1: Yeah, um, I want to clarify with a couple of things that you said uh, about his interception. So, the second one, I believe it was, on the fourth down, um, I think there was an uncalled pass interference, which is what made it look like there was a miscommunication. Um, uh-huh. Asante Samuel basically ran, like, right through Zay <laughs> Jones, so that was that was pretty unfortunate. And then... The third interception, pretty bad by by Lawrence. Um, he, I think he, um, I think Evan Ingram is supposed to stop on that play because um, he's supposed to settle down in, in the void in the zone because the Chargers are playing zone. But he just keeps continuing, and at that point, it becomes Lawrence's responsibility to know that the defender is still there and not throw the ball. But he just throws it anyway, and that's what leads to the pick. And then, yeah, um, th- that I think that was all that I wanted to clarify. Um, yeah, I guess let's let's move on to the Sunday games. Um, so we're not going to talk about Skylar Thompson. Um, mm-hmm. uh, that, that, that that's pretty uh, self-explanatory, I think. Uh, but let's let's go to the other side of the ball uh, for Josh Allen, which w- this was an incredibly entertaining game uh, for me because this was this was Jekyll and Hyde. This was this was like Brett Favre came back uh, from retirement. Um, it, it was pretty awesome to watch. So first pass of the game. Um, or, or this is like the exact opposite of what was happening uh, with the Chargers. So the first pass of the game, um, Herbert hits an open Khalil Keir on the money uh, for an explosive play. Um, after hitting a short pass to Stefan Diggs that was well thrown, he has a fumble um, on, on a scramble attempt, which just bounces out of bounds. So he gets lucky there. Um, after missing a pass uh, to Cole Beasley, uh, where he throws the ball a little bit ahead, he throws another one deep down the field uh, to Diggs. Um who's wide open but and the ball's a little bit low, but it's 20 yards past the line of scrimmage and a pretty high impact play. Um after throwing a screen pass a little bit high to Diggs and taking a sack that wasn't his fault, he throws an absolute dime deep down the left side to Stefan Diggs, um 48 yards past the line of scrimmage. Um and Diggs does have a step, but this is this throw is really, really like the distance on this one is is really impressive. Um and then he follows it up with an insanely tight window C to Dawson Knox in the end zone. Um, super impressive throw where he just kind of throws it right by the defender into Dawson Knox's one hand. Um, after a short uh, screen pass, or not a screen pass, a short check down to Kalusha Keir, he throws another one deep down the field to, to Gabe Davis this time. Um, and Davis makes a really nice catch to come up with the ball. Um, great play from him. Um, I... I I thought that that was was one of his best catches of the day. Um, After hitting Diggs on a short pass again um, and having a nice scramble, he misses one to Naheem Hines, who's wide open, and Herbert, or not Herbert, uh, Allen puts it a little bit ahead of him, and um, that leads to an incompletion. Um, Then he goes deep down the field again, this time not as deep, but 14 yards down the field um, to Diggs, and the ball's a little bit behind him, but really good throw nonetheless. On the next one, he he throws uh, into the end zone for for Dawson Knox, um, six yards into the end zone, but Knox just drops it uh, because the ball is a little bit behind him. Uh, But it's definitely a pass that I expect Knox to to catch. Um, Then, on third and eight, um, Allen is sacked for a loss of one, which I thought was his fault, but it's not a hugely negative impact play. Um, The next pass is where the craziness starts. So. About a, a little bit after halfway into the second quarter, Allen just kind of throws it up to, to John Brown, and John Brown just kind of hangs, it up, hangs him out to dry, just completely bails on the route, and uh, doesn't make a good play on the ball at all. Um, then The next play where Allen gets the ball back is at the two-minute mark, um, and he just tries to scramble and doesn't get anything out of it. Then he throws a deep pass to killer Shakir, who's left wide open, and Shakir if he just maintains his stride instead of falling over, he probably catches this and scores, but he trips and falls uh, or falls intentionally maybe uh, while he's trying to make the catch in order to make sure he secures it, but ends up dropping it altogether. And uh, that's a high impact play from Josh Allen that that's not on the stat sheet. Uh, after a short completion to Knox um, and an incompletion to to Cole Beasley, where um, Beasley was, uh, was or uh, Allen was not not at fault for the incompletion. He throws his first uh interception of the game, uh this one to uh Gabe Davis and um yeah I, I don't think this one was, was uh Josh Allen's fault either. He just kind of or no, the interception was the one to Cole Beasley. Um I don't I don't think this interception was his fault. He he pushed the ball into a tight window, it kind of deflects up and, and goes to a defender. Um but Allen, as we know he does not take his foot off the gas pedal after interceptions. Those 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 things only phase mere mortals, and uh, Josh Allen is not one of those. And he throws uh, a great pass outside the numbers to Gabe Davis, um, who's wide open and the ball's a little bit behind him, but a good throw nonetheless. After the throwaway, he has a short completion to Diggs, um, and then he throws again <laughs> deep down the field, uh, but this time it's inside the numbers. And this is a, this is a spectacular pass because Allen is kind of facing pressure and he moves to his left and kind of uh, manufactures a sidearm throw to to Davis and the ball goes right right between uh, his numbers and, and hits him in the chest, um, and an incompletion closes out the half. Um, we start off the the second half um, early in the th- or early in the third quarter. Uh, Allen gets sacked and fumbles and this was this was a pretty bad play from Allen because um, he he had. He had knowledge of, of the defenders. He just couldn't hold on to the ball, and that was a pretty, pretty poor play. Um, after a nice intermediate pass and a couple of incompletions, one of which he missed uh, his receiver, he throws a short completion and has another incompletion. Um, then he tests the intermediate area of the field again with Gabe Davis. Um, throws the ball a little bit low for Gabe Davis, but um, it results in a completion regardless. Uh, and then after a throwaway, he has a nice scramble where he kind of kind of just – or on, on a QB draw, um, he breaks a couple of tackles and rumbles for a 12-yard gain to pick up a first uh-huh. down. Um, then to get the touchdown pass, he throws uh, short to Cole Beasley, who uh, runs in for the touchdown. Um, then he targets uh, – on the next drive, he targets Lee Morris. The ball's a little bit low, but um, that short completion leads to – um, some yards after catch for a 12-yard gain. Um, after another incompletion, which was his fault, we just kind of missed Gabe Davis um, on a reasonable, reasonably easy pass. Um, he throws short again to Cole Beasley, who breaks it off for a 29-yard gain, and then makes a really, really nice pass um, to Gabe Davis, 27 yards down the field. Uh, Davis is kind of open, but this is, this is a really nice deep pass. Um, after a couple of incompletions that I didn't think were his fault, he kind of just... Uh, Bills early from the pocket and takes a sack for a, a three-yard loss and then completes a short one to Naeem Hines uh, for a seven-yard gain. And for his final explosive play of the day, um, he throws deep down the field in a tight window to Khalil Shakir um, for a 27-yard gain or for a 31-yard 30 yard gain. Um, and then kind of on, on his last play uh, of the day before the Bills kind of pulled out and let him uh, kneel it out, um, he takes a sack for uh, where he kind of steps up in the pocket and kind of starts to throw without uh, acknowledging that the defenders are there, and so that leads the ball to uh, to be in play for the Dolphins' defenders. And that was another pat or another play where um, I charged him with with a turnover-worthy play. So um, Allen generated a ton of explosive plays. If you couldn't tell from from my long soliloquy there. Um, but um, three turnover-worthy plays is going to cut into your impact quite a bit. And I, I was still like very impressed, despite the fact that he put the ball in harm's way three times because he was solely responsible for manufacturing about seven of these plays and another three more um, were just left on the table. And so I think that uh, contrary to what a lot of people are saying – um, I think that this is a pretty efficient way of offense to, to play. Um, I mean, like, they, they put up, what is it, 34 points? Is that what they put up? And they, they left, like, three massive plays on, on the table. So I, I think this is a good way to play with this quarterback, or with, with Josh Allen's archetype quarterback. Um, quarterback. Even, even if it doesn't look as good in the box score, it will look good if the receivers just pick up their pick up some slack and uh, make the plays when they need to. And I think Allen could do better in uh, keeping the ball out of harm's way himself, um, and that can lead to better offense as well. Um, it, it won't work um, structurally against a team that is not as blitz-happy as the Dolphins. Um, but if you do run into a team like this, which um, I think the Chiefs more so are like this than the Dolphins, um, I do think that it's possible um, to get, like, a bunch of man-beating concepts and just ask Allen to run wild and do what he wants to do um, because he is capable of generating explosive plays at a rate that very few quarterbacks in NFL history can match, in my opinion. And so uh, kind of leaning into that, I don't mind that, um, even if it comes at the cost of three turnovers like it did in this game. And so, or for t- four turnovers, like it did in this game. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see uh, where it goes for for, uh, for Josh Allen from here. Um, I'm really excited to see what he can do against this Bengals defense, really.
0: Yeah, I mean, at this point, I think we kind of know what to expect out of Allen. We've talked about it pretty much all year. We know we're going to get an insane amount, unprecedented amount of explosive plays but also a very high amount of turnovers, as you obviously described. Uh, You did talk about how you think this could be a successful form of offense, but honestly, watching this game, this did scare me a little bit for the Bills long-term. I think Allen's still running that uh, system well, but I do think this game showed a little bit, and there are other games throughout the season that showed it as well, that this offense is a bit too Allen-reliant because... Everything from the rushing attack to the passing attack literally relies only upon him. And the only great skill guy they really have is Stefan Diggs, who's obviously incredible and has helped Allen in many ways. But outside of that, I feel like they do need another piece to diversify what they're doing. Because another part of the reason I feel like they end up turning the ball over a lot is, yeah, obviously Allen's pretty reckless. But I do think sometimes they can get a little bit predictable almost because they're neglecting certain areas of their offense. And I do think the Dolphins kind of found a way to, even though they did give up 34 points, ultimately I do think if that offense was not as bad and as hindered as it was with the Skylar Thompson, I do think this is a much different game because of how well the Miami Dolphins defense was doing at, you know getting the ball in harm's way i said they would come out and be aggressive and that's exactly what they did they caused turnovers and that's why this was even a close one so long term for the bills in this playoffs i am a little bit worried based off this uh performance but allen personally i mean this is just another classic game we knew what to expect from him and that's exactly what he did
1: yeah um Agree with what you said there. I, I think um, my expectation is just that, like, the receivers don't drop the ball more so than that's fair. Them, them getting separation because I think if they don't drop the ball, the Bills are scoring 50, like, genuinely. Um, they, they left a huge number of explosive plays out there. Um, and, yeah, that, that's just my expectation moving forward. I don't think that yeah. I expect, like, them to start separating hugely and, like, single-handedly taking over the game. That's not of what course. I'm thinking.
0: Yeah, stuff like that, obviously, like, the team and Allen can only do so much if receivers are just dropping it. But I do think they could really use another weapon to really switch things up. Oh, uh, yeah. That, we'll see that, how... Daniel, that part on. for
1: sure. That part for sure. I just don't think, like, uh, changing the type of offense against a scheme that's pretty aggressive, I want to counter aggression with aggression. That's kind of my thought process there.
0: Yeah, Fair enough. Well, moving along from that matchup to probably one of the most interesting matchups of the day, depending on well, I'd say the, the depending on who you ask, this might be the most interesting matchup of the day. It was expected to be the most interesting matchup of the day, and it definitely lived up to it. And uh, looking into Kirk Cousins, who came into this uh, after a very solid, nearly Pro Bowl level season, as we talked about with him. Uh, where they won a lot of games, clearly. Uh, he was the favorite to come in and win this game versus the Giants, and he was supposed to be meeting the Niners at Levi's this week, not the Cowboys. But we know he doesn't show up in big games, right? Like, this, it's just not going to happen. Well, uh, in this one, on paper, he did show up. He was 31 for 39 for 273 yards and two touchdowns with no picks and a rushing touchdown. So, the real question is, if Kirk didn't really do anything wrong, then what happened? Well, we'll see here, because the game kind of shows that it wasn't really Kirk's fault. But there were a couple of things he definitely would have liked to go back and change. Uh, Looking at the start of the first quarter, Kirk comes out firing. He has two uh, roughly 10-yard completions for uh, firsts to both to J- uh, Justin Jefferson on open, in-breaking type of concepts. Uh, later, we see a very impressive throw from Kirk, where he has Dexter Lawrence, got, has gotten penetration, and his paws are literally on Kirk, but Kirk delivers a slightly low, but still very accurate pass to Thielen on a dig type of route, like 15 yards down the field, and that ball sliced right between the linebackers to to Thielen for a first Uh, After a couple more easy completions and a good Dalvin Cook run or two, the Vikings got to the one-yard line and we see Kirk sneak it in for a touchdown like every team does now on the one-yard line. And pretty successful drive from Kirk here. He delivered when he needed to, got the ball to his spots, and ultimately scored a touchdown on the drive. Uh, Late in the first quarter, after the Giants respond with a touchdown, Kirk gets the ball back but this drive kind of just goes to waste because the Vikings try to get way too cute very early on for whatever reason. Uh, they throw it to Justin Jefferson who uh, behind the line of scrimmage who throws it back to Kirk across the formation behind the line of scrimmage again, and he was expected to maybe break tackles with no blockers in front of him and get the first even though he was like five yards from the marker. Uh, it was only like a third and one or two, very, very weird play call. I don't know what they were thinking in throwing it back across because it didn't seem like they had someone for Kirk to throw to. It just seemed like they were just throwing it for him to run, and that's not necessarily a great play call for sure. And that causes a three and out. Uh, The Giants respond with a touchdown and now down 14-7. Early in the second quarter, we see another unsuccessful drive because uh, on a third and three, we see uh Kirk has Leonard Williams and Kayvon Thibodeau chasing him. And he's just forced to toss it out of bounds. Uh, I do feel like he had Hawkinson and Osborne earlier in the play for a first. Uh, So basically just late decision making from him caused that play to not happen. And after a really, really long Giants drive where they only end up getting a field goal, Kirk only gets it back with... left in the half, down 17-7, but he does respond well. On a third and nine early in that drive, he makes a throw to Hawkinson that ends up resulting in 30 yards, Um, just a wide-open Hawkinson play. Uh, He sees the Giants go all-out blitz, and he has all his guys in man coverage, and Hawkinson pretty easily beats his man, so he just dumps it to him and just lets Hawkinson work. He finds Hawkinson again open in kind of a soft spot of the giant zone, like 12 yards downfield, and he once again turns around and runs it for another 30 yards. Uh, Definitely an underrated pickup from the Vikings here because Hawkinson was a beast in this one. Uh, In the red zone ultimately, on a first and goal, Kirk does a great job of scanning the field, and he sees that KJ Osborne kind of gets forgotten over the middle of the field. They just kind of leave him. And the Giants' D was so focused on guys like Jefferson and Hawkinson that kind of just leave Hawk, Osborne open. And Kirk delivers that pass, and he ultimately gets in for a touchdown. Uh, getting into the second half, Kirk first gets the ball in the middle of the third quarter, uh, now down 24-14. And we see Kirk make a big-time throw to extend this drive very early on. Uh, the Giants had a lot of pressure in his face, and he kind of just stayed in there and delivered a strike to Hawkinson, who was slanting over the middle, and Hawkinson picks up a first and even more. Uh, he then drops a perfect fade to Thielen down the sideline for another 20. It was like the perfect hole shot right between the corner, kind of the flat, and the safety getting a deep third. Uh, and he ends that drive with a touchdown pass to a wide-open Irv Smith in the back corner of the end zone and cuts the lead only to three. Uh, And late in the third quarter, after an unsuccessful Giants drive, and it's still only a three-point game, Kirk comes out firing once again with a dot to Thielen off a play-action sweep uh, rolling right. We see another big, big time throw from him around midfield. It was a fourth and three, and given the time left and score at the time, this play was huge. And even with pressure all over him, Kirk finds a wide open Hawkinson on a wheel route and hits him right in the chest. The safety doesn't even get an opportunity to run over and stop that play. Uh, the Vikings are held to a field goal on this drive, though, because on a fourth and inches, they have some miscommunication and. Uh, I think the tackle false starts, so even though Kirk got the first on a QB sneak and overall was performing on this drive, they end up only tying the game at 24 with the field goal because of the miscues, essentially. Uh, After this, the Giants do go down and score another touchdown to take a 7-point lead, and Kirk gets the ball in the middle of the fourth quarter, and here is where we start to see a little bit of Kirk choking and... Pretty much what everyone remembers this game for. Uh, In this first drive, the Vikings have a quick three and out because on third down, uh, Kirk does manage to get away from pressure, but he panics and just throws a check down that was inaccurate to Dalvin Cook, and that leads to an incompletion and ends that drive. Uh, Yes, he could have used better blocking on that play for sure. They forced Kirk to just make something happen, but he really can't panic the way he did and just throw it away almost, or try to check it down and fail. He's got to make something happen there in such a crucial drive when he's down seven. And the Vikings' defense does get a stop, giving Kirk one last chance with two and a half minutes left to tie it. Uh, They do get bailed early in that drive because there's a roughing the passer call on Dexter Lawrence, which seemed very, very light. Uh, And then Kirk does deliver a very tight window dime to Hawkinson on an in-breaking route where the corner was all over him. But we do eventually see on this drive the famous 4th and 8 play from this game, where for whatever reason, on a 4th and 8, with literally the season on the line, uh he only throws a 4-yard pass to Hawkinson, where the is covering him, and is right there to make the tackle. And Kirk was under a bit of pressure, but honestly, he did not have to make the throw here. He did have time, and I don't know why he made it so soon. And most importantly, I know a lot of people were shitting on this decision in general. But honestly, it wasn't that bad of a decision, and it maybe could have worked if because Hawkinson did have a little of space on the outs little bit of space on the outside. He beat his man on that out route type of concept. But instead of throwing it out wide and letting Hawkinson get it on towards the sideline and run upfield, uh he throws it uh high and not outside at all, very inside, and forces Hawkinson to come back to the ball and kind of jump up and get it. And that gives his man a chance to recover and puts him in perfect position to tackle him. Like even before Hawkinson was landed, he was getting tackled. So overall, just very poor decision from Kirk there. Not only throwing it to someone way before the first down marker, but also putting it in a position where he has zero chance at all to make a play out of it. And that awful play uh, essentially ends the game. Uh, Overall, very, very good game. But he really, really sold on those last two drives where it really, really mattered, obviously. And that's kind of been the tale of his career throughout. Usually in these big game scenarios, he'll have a bad whole game. This time, it was really just a decision or two. So overall, it still puts his overall performance very high. But I know he's kicking himself because... There's some decisions he made there that he could have had back. Really, he needed help from the rest of his team, but he could have done a little bit more. And I know that's got him sick.
1: Yeah, the the play that jumps to my mind actually is the fourth and one where they were going to go for it uh, with the QB sneak and Christian Darius. false started and became fourth and six, and they punted instead. So, oh, oh, also the the throwback. Um, where they passed behind the line of sc- or threw backwards to Justin Jefferson and uh, um yeah, Kirk Cousins. Was- yeah, that 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 play just. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I I would never have called that anyway. Um, not I, I didn't I didn't um, think Cousins played poorly at all. I thought he played really well. Um, that last play, notwithstanding, uh, this was a pretty amazing performance from him. Um, but that last play does does matter and that hurts him a little bit. Um, and yeah, I, 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 um, we'll, we'll talk about him in the offseason, but I did, I do think this season was pretty interesting for Kirk and, and we'll, we'll get into more detail um, in the off season. but let's move to Daniel Jones where I want to move pretty rapidly because this game was, it, it was, it was so many positive plays being generated by the Giants offense that it almost became boring. Like, um, that That's how poorly the Vikings defense was playing. It, they just could not stop anything at all. Um, so I guess let's start with the first touchdown drive. Um, he throws short to Richard James, then has a nice scramble, then throws to Darius Slayton for a 22-yard gain, um, another right, nice scramble for 15 yards, and Saquon takes it in for a touchdown. Uh, the next drive, um, four plays, 81 yards for the Giants. Um, uh, throws one again to Slayton who gets 47 yards here um, after Vikings defenders run into each other. Um, a short pass to Cager, and then uh, a really nice pass to, to Hodgins where the Vikings defense didn't look to be ready because I guess <coughs> they thought they were all start. Um, then the Giants go on a really long drive, 20 plays on this drive for 85 yards. Um, so Jones just kind of dinks and dunks his way. Uh, down the field, other than a couple of uh, other than a nice scramble uh, or two where he kind of picks up uh, 20 yards on those two scrambles, um, they get into Minnesota territory. He has another 10, 10 yard scramble um, and then continues dinking and dunking his way uh, closer and closer to the end zone. And then they kick a field goal on fourth and six, it was uh, for, for fourth and goal to go uh, from the six yard line. Um, the then we come to the end of the first half where the Giants weren't really trying to score, um, and then the third quarter opens with another touchdown drive. Um, Jones again, uh, short passes all the way down the field, uh, to Hodgins and Saquon, um, and then throws another one to Bellinger for a touchdown. Um, the next drive, the first time that the Minnesota Vikings were able to force a punt, and this is halfway through the third quarter, um, Jones. Doesn't do anything poor this drive, but he does take a sack, which I thought potentially could have been avoided if he was quicker with his decision-making, um, but not not a poor play. Uh, <laughs> next drive, Jones go right back to the dinking and dunking, and um, he hits Richie James, um, and then Richie James goes for an 11-yard gain. Next one is to Hodgins, where Jones makes a nice pass. Hodgins for 19 yards, and then... Boar passes short of the sticks, um, and then Saquon caps it off with, with the touchdown. Um, and yeah, uh, the next drive is more of the same, but it ends with a drop instead uh, from, from Slayton, which could have ended the game, but it uh, gave the the Vikings another chance to, to make a play, uh, to, to go and tie the game, which they obviously did not do. Um, and so I was impressed with this game, his ability to continue to – Um, put the ball in catchable and accurate spots uh, for his receivers to make plays, but no, no pass singularly jumped out as super high impact. It was more of his steady and continual um, good short passing and and his impact on the ground that jumped out. So um, a good game from Jones, but nothing where I was totally blown away. Um, He has been able to put together uh, this run down the stretch where he has just played good game after good game, after good game with, no bad games really um since like week 12 13ish he i don't think he's really played a poor game and so um that that level of play um he's looked he's looked pretty good um for this last third of the season um and so we'll see if that can carry itself into the Eagles game um but yeah jones has some potential <laughs> to drop here and and be really good going forward
0: yeah jones definitely over this course of the last bit of the year has kind of honed in finally after a lot of rough years up in New York. But honestly, what surprised me a lot more uh, than him, and it really, really surprised me, was how bad the Vikings defense was. And the second half of the year, they were kind of in a downturn. We even talked about leading up to this game. Uh, But watching this game, the Giants offense was operating on all cylinders, and it did not look like the Vikings – were even attempting to stop them. And they weren't even killing them with their best weapon, which is Saquon Barkley. I believe he only had like nine rushes. And in all of those nines, they were incredibly impact runs as well. For whatever reason, they didn't go to him. Maybe it's cause if it, it was because Daniel Jones was running so much and also killing the Vikings defense. But it seemed almost every play, the Giants had someone wide open. And the Giants receiver core is obviously well-known for not being good at all. So it was surprising to me how often guys like Isaiah Hodgins, Darius Slayton were getting wide open with plenty of space and getting huge plays uh, constantly. And Daniel Jones was just carving them up, both throwing and pulling it out and running. So just incredible stuff from the Giants uh, offense, but really a lot of it had to do with that Minnesota defense being terrible. Uh moving forward, I I don't have too much optimism for this Giants team and Daniel Jones. I did think the Vikings were frauds and I thought they'd get exposed by someone. I didn't think it would be this early. I did have the Vikings winning this, but uh I mean, I'm glad they ended up getting exposed as they were expected to, but I don't see this Giants team getting past the Eagles.
1: Yeah. Um let's move on to uh, a much better quarterback performance, and that was from Joe Burrow. Uh, Burrow was going up against a really elite defense uh, in the Ravens, and he played pretty admirably. After, So we'll start off in the first quarter. He throws a short one to Mixon to start off the game and kind of throws a worse pass, which is a little bit behind Mixon, for a six-yard game. Um, he takes a sack for a loss of two, which I didn't think was his fault, and has a nice completion to Tyler Boyd in a tight window. Uh, for an 11-yard gain. Um, after another short completion and a short scramble, he th- attacks the intermediate area of the field again with Higgins. It was open, but Burrow throws a perfect ball. And then uh, Burrow targeting the back of the end zone uh, to Higgins in a tight window um, puts it right on the money, but Higgins just can't come up with the ball. Um, and so that that just leads to a field goal drive instead of a touchdown. Um, he, has another inc- he has an incompletion where he kind of misses Hurst, open in the flat and then another incompletion, which wasn't really his fault, in my opinion. Um, he then hits Hurst, um, who's wide open, and the ball's a little bit high, but a decent pass nonetheless. And then hits Jamar Chase, a little bit high, but uh, a good pass because it's 13 yards down the field. He then takes a sack for a loss of nine yards, which I didn't think was his fault, and then continues to throw short passes to end out the first quarter. Um, second quarter, he didn't really have many plays because the Ravens had the ball for most of the quarter, but in the, in the passes that he did have, he had a short completion, uh, an incompletion, or a couple of incompletions, and then threw a nice pass to Higgins where he was open, uh, attacking the middle of the field. Um, so we move on to the third quarter, um, where Burrow has a short completion and a short scramble, and then he hits Tyler Boyd, um, who's wide open for a 10-yard gain, and then another short completion to uh, Boyd for a 5-yard gain. Um, Then he throws a really nice pass to Jamar Chase outside the numbers where he's on time and the ball is right on the money, even though Jamar Chase does get a lot of separation. Uh, He then attacks outside the numbers on the right side to Jamar Chase, 18 yards down the field, and Chase makes a nice play um, to get a lot of separation. And then he uh, throws one uh, over the middle of the field to to Hayden Hurst um, 14 yards on the field and this one turns almost into a touchdown uh, but he comes up short at the one yard line and Burrow sneaks it in for the touchdown himself. Um, Then Burrow has a nice pass to Higgins where he um, hits him for a one yard gain even though uh, it was way past or a 10 yard gain even though it was well past the line of scrimmage Um, and then has a short pass to Joe Mixon where he's wide open and Uh, That was a nice play. Um, Then he throws outside the numbers again for Higgins, and Higgins can't come up with the ball this time uh, in a tight window, but it was a catchable pass from Burrow, so a nice play nonetheless. Um, And he finished it off the game with a couple of accurate short passes and incompletion, um, a sack that I thought was his fault uh, on the nine-yard loss late in the game, um, eight minutes left in the fourth quarter. He kind of drops back a little too deep and let's at that point it's his responsibility to to take care of the pressure and get sacked and loses yardage um he has an incompletion that was his fault in my opinion and then uh short completion uh this one to Hayden Hurst and then he has a scramble for four yards and they have to punt so not, not too many mistakes from Burrow um, this game. He did have the one sack and a couple of missed passes here and there, but a very clean, uh, precise game from Burrow where he attacked uh, past the line of scrimmage a lot or, or past the first down marker a lot. And the passes that he threw behind, or behind the first down marker were were accurate and led his receivers into more yardage. So I was impressed from Burrow, by Burrow this game. Um, I've been impressed since, like, what, week three? Um, he's been playing fantastic. And uh, this, this game just added more uh, evidence to that point.
0: Yeah, I agree pretty much with all you said about Burrow there, especially with him having another impressive performance. Uh, one thing, very similar to the Bills, uh, this Bengals team did worry me a little bit with having such a close matchup to a team just a week ago. Obviously, they didn't have Tyler Huntley at the time, but they absolutely destroyed. and. I do know divisional matchups like this can always get a little bit, uh, I guess, feisty and you're going to end up having a close kind of battle, but the inability of that Bengals offense to just put the game away did worry me a bit. The fact that they needed that big uh fumble at the one yard line with a big return just to end it off, and the fact that their offense just couldn't just... You know, have one good successful drive and put that team away in the second half is a little worrying. And really the only reason the Ravens weren't able to pull it back was because of how incompetent they were on offense. Very dissimilar to what the Dolphins were dealing with problem wise. So I think for both the Bills and Bengals here, not really necessarily Burrow or Allen, but we are seeing kind of the blueprint to stop the whole offense even when you allowed the quarterbacks to be still playing at a very high level at their best, which is a little weird.
1: Yeah, uh, agreed with you there. Uh, I wanted to correct uh, one play that I made. Uh, I was talking about the T. Higgins pass, which was nine yards past the line of scrimmage. That was the two point conversion, um, and it was towards the back of the end zone. Um, and yeah, um, I think that the Bengals' offense as a whole um it's going to be a little bit tougher against the bills because they're dealing with a ton of offensive line injuries and um i do think that the Bills' pass rush can do uh, a pretty good job a better job than the ravens defense honestly with their pass rushers they have a bunch of guys who are pretty good um rather than the ravens who have like a bunch of guys who are like okay
0: um
1: and yeah um i'm looking forward to seeing what what Burrow can do next week and and also Allen. um as you referenced there
0: Uh uh-huh and moving on from that game which was surprisingly close to probably the biggest letdown of the week in terms of game uh in the Cowboys and Bucks and I'll get started off with the Brady who uh I do wonder what he's gonna do after this season because this game absolutely 100% proved that Brady is fully and completely washed I hate to say it but it seems to be the case. Maybe it was an outlier, but uh, I could honestly leave it at that, to be honest, because plain and simply, he played washed, but I'll obviously go deeper into it. And even his stats don't look the best. He was 35 for 66, which is a terrible completion percentage, even if there's some bad luck involved. 351 yards, which is impressive, and two touchdowns and a pick. And honestly, the game itself looks... Even worse than that, in my opinion. Early in the first, we see Brady come out uh, looking indecisive right off the bat. Because on this drive, they have a third and five. And I see Brady recognize that he has open Russell Gage on a stop route for a first. And even looks at him. And that's where he wants to go. But he hesitates for a second due to pressure. Because for whatever reason, he was just worried about that. And that allows the defensive back to to recover. So by the time he makes that throw... It's a contested pass that ends up getting tipped and falls to the ground, and that causes a punt. Uh, later in the first quarter, about in the middle, the Bucks actually do see a lot of success on this drive. Uh, we see Brady fit a really tight window uh, from Trayvon Diggs, who almost snatches the ball and picks it off. But Brady hits Godwin right on the money just away from Diggs for a first. And then later on a third and six, he finds an open Mike Evans on a quick slant for another first. And weirdly enough, we see Brady in this stage of his career. We see him do a little bit of playmaking here off script because for whatever reason, the Bucks fake a quick throw to Godwin and try to go deep. But no one deep seemed to be open. So Brady, weird, Brady weirdly enough, he scrambles, which you don't hear too much, away from pressure And he flips it to Godwin for a first, kind of like an option play almost. And uh, that was very impressive to see from him. But he concludes this drive with quite possibly the worst play I've ever seen him make. Might be the worst of his career. I'll have to go back and check that out. Because from this moment, I think I realized this game and maybe even Brady was just over. Because Brady was uh, uh, under pressure on a second-and-goal, and and he kind of just says, fuck it, and throws the ball in the end zone blindly and just hands the Cowboys the easiest uh, lofted interception of their lives to curse. Possibly his worst play ever because there was no one even near the ball necessarily. I can't even tell you what he was going for or what idea he had. It was just thrown straight in the Cowboys' hands. So very, very weird from him. Uh, late in the second quarter, at this point, Bucks are down 12, and we see exactly how washed Brady is, because on a third and 13, down 12, late in the half, uh, they elect to throw a quick screen to Godwin and then punt, because that's how awful Brady was looking. There were a lot of incompletions to this point, which I'm not really going to talk about, because that'll get repetitive, but at this point in the game, his completion percentage was not looking good at all and at halftime going into it he looked he did not look good and in the third it does not get much better uh we see early in the third quarter the bucks punt very quickly cuz brady has a uh, somewhat open chris godwin on a third and short slant uh for a first but he throws it behind godwin and the ball gets batted down by the db and ultimately leads to the punt in the middle of the third uh Brady got to a point where he was literally just handing it, handing it off and throwing it checkdowns down 24 points, uh, which is absolutely ridiculous. And then on a third and 10 on this drive, he stood in the pocket for a while and threw it over the middle about 15 yards to literally no one. I don't know if there was a miscommunication, but the ball was near literally no one and just went straight to the ground. Uh, late in the third, we see the Bucks' offense start to see a little bit of success again this drive because the Cowboys kind of just back their safeties off and corners up uh, big time as well to stop big plays from bringing them back. And Brady did take advantage. He killed them with a lot of quick in-breaking routes. And at the 30, just before the quarter was ending, Brady ends up kind of luring that those safeties back in. And ends up beating them deep, which is exactly what the Cowboys didn't want as the third quarter was ending. At the 30, uh, Brady just throws a dot to Julio Jones, streaking down the sideline. Probably his best throw of the day. And a rare good throw from him in this one. Jones had very little space, but Brady still put it on the money. And it was still a very impressive throw, despite a bad day. Uh, On the two-point conversion right after, though, we see the same Brady we've seen all game. He just floats the ball past the end zone to literally no one. Uh, early in the fourth, we see Brady continue his little bit of offensive success. He throws back-to-back first on comebacks to Godwin and then Evans. And then he even has one really good pass to Evans, where he finds the, Evans finds the hole in the zone between like uh, the flat and the deep third. And Brady just puts it on the money on the sideline for him. Uh, a couple more short connections to uh, on, get them to the two. But the Bucks come up short once again because on both third and fourth down, Brady holds the ball too long, uh, third and fourth and goal, and gets sacked on back-to-back plays, which essentially ends the game. If it wasn't already, probably was already, but that really sealed the deal. Uh, Brady does throw a garbage time touchdown to Brayton late in the fourth, and even gets a two-point conversion. uh, And then there was an onside kick he got, but they ended up turning it over on downs. So overall, the Bucks simply got blown out. And as far as Brady's performance goes, I'll say it again, he looks washed. Uh, The biggest question for me is, is this it for Brady? Uh, as washed as he may seem, this is still the greatest quarterback of all time. So he's obviously still at starter or even above st- average starter level, but he cannot carry a team with uh, the lack of talent this year's Bucks team had. Uh, at this stage of his career, he needs a little bit more, so I'm just interested to see what's next.
1: Yeah, I think Brady is in decline for sure, but I, I, would, be, I would be hesitant to, to say he's totally washed. Um, I think Brady, we've seen this kind of in the past where um, the situation has been poor, and he's looked poor, but then he comes back the next year and looks like an absolutely different quarterback. And I'm referencing 2019 in specific where the receivers were awful. And he did have uh, familiarity with the scheme, um, but it just wasn't enough to overcome having rookie Jacoby Myers as the wide receiver two and and the, the remains of Josh Gordon as, as the wide receiver three for huge parts of the season. So um, it, it's, it's a different situation here in Tampa where – Everyone is injured around him rather than bad players. And they were just never yeah, he's able to a get lot older. And he's a lot older for sure, um, which is why he's definitely regressing. But um, it's also like he wasn't able to establish much chemistry. The offensive line has been injured like all of the year. Mike Evans has missed time. Chris Godwin is still coming back from the injury. And kind of to top it all off, the play calling has been absolutely awful. So we'll we'll see what he does this offseason. Um, and if he can find a situation that's better for him but i would be hesitant to call him completely washed and i think next year um I, f- I feel very confident that it's possible that he provides strong starter level value at least um so yeah we'll see we'll see what happens with brady
0: yeah i'm just i'm just very quick and prone to throw labels around like this washed label for me uh it's what he is right now i do agree that I'm Well, I'm never going to count Brady out completely until he finally decides to hang it up. So I don't doubt that he could come back next year with hopefully a better team around him, whether it's in Tampa or somewhere else, and I guess reinvent himself once again. Because I did, do remember those takes in 2019 where people said he might fall off a cliff or f- fall off in general or whatnot, and he obviously proved that wrong. Uh this year does look somewhat similar to that but I I think he's definitely regressed a lot more than he did in like that 2019 year from the 2018 year. The difference between last year and dif- this year is a little bit more significant and a little bit more on him. Uh but yeah, I'm not going to say it's over. I just love throwing a lot around labels cuz it's funny to say and it's even funnier when it ends up being right. But I do want to see more of the GOAT, so hopefully it continues. But I'll I'll get into his opponent in this matchup, who was Dak. And after a shaky year from Dak, returning from that big injury earlier in the year, obviously after a very bad game against the same team, uh, and him having a lot of bad turnover stats, and just me included, a lot of people had question marks about whether he can lead this very talented roster to do anything in the playoffs and that came out with a performance that silences a lot of those doubts because he was almost perfect in this one uh even his stats look good he was 25 for 33 with 305 yards passing four passing touchdowns no touch no picks and he combined that with a rushing touchdown so he absolutely dominated and as a niners fan he's I, i'm honestly a little bit worried about uh th- him having a repeat performance this weekend it would be a bit of an outlier but as a niners fan i'm just a little slightly worried but getting into this game versus the bucks early in the first we saw a rare bucks defensive stop uh in this game cuz vidova just ends up destroying the Cowboys center, literally shoving him out of the way and Sax Prescott for a quick three and out. Uh but middle of the first, still 0-0. We see Dak finally come out and have the game he was having. He starts with a 20-yard pass to the sideline where he has uh Michael Gallup open on a comeback and he gets rid of this ball even before Gallup's made his cut, obviously great anticipation. And he hits them a little bit high and forces Gallup to leap and stretch for the ball. But it gets completed nonetheless. Uh, after a big Pollard run that puts them in the red zone, uh, we see Dak hit an open Dalton Schultz on a sle- seam running up the right hashes. He finds the perfect person to expose Tampa's cover three at that on that play. And Dalton just sliced right through the two high safeties on the right side in the middle for a touchdown. Early in the second, we see Prescott uh do a little bit more of what we've been seeing this whole game. We see him move up in the pocket, go through his progressions, and he realizes his main targets are covered, but he finds an open T.Y. Hilton just waiting over the middle of the field for a first. And I think that T.Y. Hilton pickup could be a little bit interesting, because it seems like he has a little bit of juice left in the tank, which is, I guess, exactly what the Cowboys need. Uh. Right after, off a of play action, we see uh, Dak hit a check down to the rookie tight end, Ferguson. And this was more of a great play by him, who takes them 30 yards all the way down to the five. And the Cowboys then get to the goal line and pull out a great play call, where they fake a handoff to Zeke, and Dak just wraps around and runs it in for a touchdown with no one around him Uh Just a great play call by them and great execution by Dak really selling the fake. Uh, And right after this, there was a second missed extra point from their kicker, Brett Maher, which uh, is very surprising. And you'll see even it gets even crazier later in the game. Uh, But late in the second quarter with about two and a half minutes left, we see Dak once again finds Schultz up the seam right on the money before the safety can hit him. And the Cowboys were really exposing the Bucks linebacker core here and their inability to cover because just that middle of the field was free for them uh, in the intermediate range. And then Dak, we see him pick up another first with his legs on this drive and then complete a 20-yard uh, pass to CeeDee Lamb over the middle in very tight coverage. The ball was heavily contested because Dak threw it kind of high and a bit too away from Lamb. But Lamb just goes up and stacks the ball away from the defender because he's just really good. He's just like that. Uh they end this drive on one of Dak's best plays of the day, cause in the red zone, he's flushed left away from his throwing side, and it looks like he'll kinda just throw it away. It's kinda what we expected at that point, because he was approaching the sideline. But he throws on the move pa- and on the move pass with moving right or moving left while throwing right to the end zone and somehow finds a wide open Dalton Schultz peeling away from his uh, defenders in a little bit of a scramble drill. And it was just a great playmaking and great chemistry from Dak and Dalton Schultz to put that together. And that still only puts them up 18 because surprisingly enough, Maher missed a third extra point and that ends the half. Uh, early in the third, we see Dak come out half uh, come out the half firing Uh, cause he hits Dalton Schultz once again for like 20 yards on a wheel route, which Devin White is literally all over him, like literally step for step with Schultz, but Dak still hits him right over the top of White's arms with pinpoint accuracy. And it was so accurate that, uh, Devin White literally hit the ball and Dalton Schultz caught it on a little bit of a bubble, but uh, on a little bit of a bobble, but Dak still delivered that perfectly. Uh, He follows that with a third and four 25-yard completion to a wide-open CD Lamb on a crossing route. The Bucs kind of just sent everyone here because they were getting a bit de- desperate, and Dak did a good job of adjusting like the blocking scheme at the line and just finding the matchup he liked. He got to it and uh, got CD the ball. After a huge Pollard run, we see Dak make another great touchdown pass to Gallup in the back of the, the back corner of the end zone, just past the outstretched arms of the DB. And this puts up the Cowboys up only 24, because believe it or not, their kicker missed a fourth extra point. Uh, but even then, at this point in the game, it being the fourth quarter, up 24 points, uh this pretty or third quarter I should say, this pretty much ends the game for them. Uh, in the middle of the third, we kind of just see the Cowboys run it and make a lot of short completions for Dak, waste time. Uh, early in the fourth, we see more of the same. The Cowboys just continue to gas the Bucks defense with the runs and through a lot of screen passes, uh, wasting time. Weirdly enough, though, in the red zone, they did go for it on a fourth and four while they were up 18 points, which normally you wouldn't do, but they did. And the Bucks defense still somehow... Just forgot about CeeDee Lamb apparently because they left him absolutely wide open. It didn't even look like anyone was covering him that play. And Dak obviously hits him wide open down the sideline for a touchdown. And that seals the deal if it wasn't sealed already. Because the following two drives, the Cowboys just ran the clock out again. And that pretty much ended it. And overall, Dak looked really, really good. Uh this one there's really no comments for me. The Bucks were not really a challenge and he really exposed that defense. That they do have a good defensive line, but it looks like the rest of that defense is lacking and whether it was with C.D. Lamb or Dalton Schultz especially, uh he really picked apart that defense and it was exciting to see after the up and down season he had. Uh, but I really question if he can sustain it because he was really good this one, and we haven't seen him sustain a uh, level of play this high ever, I would say.
1: Yeah, uh, we'll, we'll see um, what he can do next week against uh, a much better Niners defense. Um, I think that'll be um, the biggest test of the season for him, probably.
0: Absolutely. Uh, and with that, that concludes all the wild card matchups and all the wild card quarterbacks except for Skylar Thompson and Tyler Huntley. But as we mentioned, when those games came up, no one really wants to talk about them. So so I'll swiftly move on to the divisional round and our previews for that one. And man, this is going to be a great weekend starting tomorrow. And I'll get started with the Chiefs and Jaguars. And Petey, go ahead. Yeah, uh, I want to
1: quickly touch on Trevor Lawrence here. So the Chiefs play pretty aggressive style of defense with their corners lining up and press a lot. Um, they play a lot of man. They, they play maybe the most pressed man in the league. Um, and so I think uh, Lawrence looking to take his shots um, on short passes early, um, make sure to keep them close to line of scrimmage and then see if he can hit Kirk and Zay Jones deep down the field. Maybe even Evan, Evan Ingram using his speed if they want to use that a little bit, even though they do use mostly on horizontal type stuff. Um, but Yeah, um, I think that's the avenue for the Jags to um, spring an upset is um, get uh, really just hit on their big plays and um, not turn the ball over because this is a this looks like a pretty unlikely scenario uh, for the Jags to pull off.
0: Yeah, watching the Jags Chargers game, uh, obviously it was a great game, great comeback. But I kind of was thinking to myself like the whole game, like the Chiefs are cooking these guys. Like that's really my take on this one. I think the Chiefs are absolutely going to uh, blow this one away. As far as Trevor Lawrence goes, uh, I do like the point you touched on because I was going to say uh, the Jaguars' offense heavily relies on these like quick throws, uh, a lot of drags, a lot of short crossers, a lot of slants, just like, in breaking routes, getting all of their guys in space uh, in, and trying to get the ball to them in stride so they can make something happen a lot of quick screens, and as you said, the Chiefs are obviously very, very uh, aggressive defensively. So it's going to be interesting to see how those matchups play out because this could either go really well offensively for the Jags or really poorly because if uh, the receivers are simply not separating, uh, the DBs are able to stay relatively close, and maybe Lawrence isn't all the way firing, this could be tough for them because – uh, there is a very realistic possibility where man just completely shuts down what they're doing. Because I think in zones, Lawrence is always able to find that soft spot where his crossing route is going to be and just kind of slowly dink and dime his way downfield. But if Kansas is able to just shut everything down and cover them, then it'll be a long day for him. But on the flip side, if his guys are able to beat those one-on-one matchups consistently – And just have plenty of space to work with. I could see Lawrence having an amazing day. So it highly depends on what the Jacksonville uh, weapons want to do. And kind of what consistency Lawrence is going to be on in this one. And on the flip side with Kansas, I just think they keep rolling. Uh, This Jacksonville defense has picked it up as of late. But Jacksonville primarily wins in shootouts. Uh, That defense is not good whatsoever. I don't think they have nearly a good enough linebacker or safety core to stop a guy like uh Travis Kelsey. I don't think they have the defensive coaching to counter a guy like Andy Reid and all the ridiculous things he does offensively. And then obviously there's that man, Patrick Mahomes, who's unstoppable in the playoffs. So I think the Chiefs offense puts up a whole lot of points as well. And the Jackson offense does too, but Kansas just pulls away.
1: Yeah, um, I think uh, Kansas City probably hits on a few big plays. Um, I think they mm-hmm. jump out to an early lead. Um, the Jags kind of start playing aggressive, maybe with a couple blitzes here and there, um, and the Chiefs kind of uh, hit some big plays to counter that. Um, maybe their initial um, their initial uh, punches may come from attacking. Uh, the Jags young linebacker core with uh, Lou Kun, with uh, Devin Lloyd, with Chad Muma. Um, I think Kelsey will feast on on those guys and um, look for him to have a really, really big day.
0: Yeah. And most importantly, uh, Patrick Mahomes, the greatest quarterback of all time will reach his fifth straight conference championship. Uh, Once again, loading his resume uh, for goat status. So uh, I can't wait to see that happen. But moving on from this matchup to the only divisional matchup in the divisional round and the Giants at Eagles. And what are your thoughts on this one?
1: Yeah, I want to look at the Eagles offense first. So the Giants are prototypically a blitz-happy defense because Wink Martindale is their coordinator. Um, But last week, they kind of uh, stayed away from the blitzes because they wanted to um, send... Hard doubles and soft doubles at, at Justin Jefferson. Just kind of try to take him out of the game, and it worked. Um, they only uh, The Vikings were only able to get 47 yards out of Justin Jefferson. But I think that if they want to run the same game plan because there is another elite receiver in their path in A.J. Brown, uh, I think it'll be a lot tougher because um, I think Devontae Smith is a lot better of a player at this point in his career than Adam Thielen um, as the second option 100%. behind that elite receiver. And so um, I think – uh, as long as Jalen Hurts is reasonably healthy, they should be able to have a pretty significant run game, and also um, be able to hit deep shots over the top uh, to Devontae Smith and or AJ Brown, depending on whoever's getting getting the extra help from from the safeties at at that point. Um, and if if the Giants decide to sit in their, in their two high looks, I think that Dallas Goddard can um, kind of win the game for the Eagles on that front. So. Um, the Eagles are pretty unstoppable. It just depends on how healthy Jalen Hurts is. Um, I honestly feel pretty confident in picking them to be one of the teams to uh, maybe win the Super Bowl this year. Um, it just depends on Jalen Hurts' health.
0: Yeah, I think I'm quite optimistic on Jalen Hurts' health, uh, considering at this point with the week off and with the wild card round, obviously, the, he's had about a month off and I don't think his recovery time was even expected to need to be that long so the Eagles still (coughs) managed to get that one seed and get Jalen Hurts healthy so I think that's incredible for them going into this one and looking at Jalen Hurts as you said the Giants are very aggressive very blitz happy but I think we saw last week is just that Giants D line has become so good throughout the course of this year with guys like Dexter Lawrence, Leonard Williams, uh, Thibodeau, uh, <clears throat> that they're able to get pressure just rushing for, rushing three even, but this Eagles offensive line is really good so I think the big one of the biggest challenges for Hertz is going to be, uh, if that uh Giants D line is able to get pressure. Hertz is not someone who's had to deal with a whole lot of pressure uh throughout the season because of how good his offensive line is. So that'll be interesting to see. But on the back half of things, like you said, I really don't think on uh the oh, sorry, the Giants have any way to keep up with all the talent the Eagles have on this offense because it's not only A.J. Brown, it's guys like Devonte Smith, uh obviously Goddard is back now. Even Miles Sanders has been a threat throughout this year. And the Vikings didn't really kill the Giants on the run game. And I do think with how good the Eagles' uh, rushing game has been throughout this year with both Hurts and Sanders, look how good that O-line is, I think that's going to be huge against this Giants' defense. I think the Eagles keep, and Jalen Hurts keep rolling in this one.
1: Yeah, I totally and- agree. Yeah. Do
0: you and on the flip side with the Giants, what do you think about them and their offense?
1: Yeah. Um. They kind of just have a few ways to win. They just they have their their run game with Saquon. They have their short passes um, to Isaiah Hodgins and whoever else they got there. Um. And and the Daniel Jones run game. So, um. The Eagles aren't the greatest team defending the quarterback run. Um. And and the run game in general, it's not their their strongest point. So. Um, I think there will be an extra focus um, on that. They they will probably stack the box um, and force not not really just Daniel Jones, but the, the receivers overall to, to beat their great cornerback duo of Darius Slay and James Radbury. And I, I, I don't see this one going great for the Giants. Um, I guess if maybe Isaiah Hodgins has, like, a great, great game, um, it could go well. But I, I don't know if you can count on that at this point to where, like, is he an elite number one receiver? I don't think so. And so um, not having the highest expectations for the Giants offense, but maybe they can do something with incredible scheme that just um, where Brian Dable just completely outcoaches Jonathan Gannon and maybe that's their way to win.
0: Yeah. On paper, every week, the Giants offense does not look like they should be successful, but somehow, some way every week, They're able to pull it off, but I'm going to doubt them once again here, uh, just like you, because that wide receiver core I mentioned and when we were talking about their matchup even, it's really not good. Isaiah Hodgins has stepped up. Slayton has stepped up a little bit, but it's still very, very subpar. And that Eagles secondary has been incredible this year with Darius Slay being there, a lot of other great DBs on that uh, unit. Uh, and it's a deep team, too. I don't see the Giants receivers being able to get the easy separation that they were getting against the Vikings. And uh, throughout the last third of this series, really, I don't know how they've been doing it. Maybe they're able to continue. Uh, but I think this is going to be a huge Saquon game. If they are able to run it, I think it's very important the Giants go, don't go down too early so they can keep using That Saquon and even the Daniel Jones rushing attack because uh, we didn't even see Saquon really against the Vikings. And he's obviously their most talented piece by far, and I think he's going to be really, really key if they want to beat the Eagles. So I expect a lot more Saquon, and I'm hoping we see a similar Daniel Jones where he's a game manager type, doesn't really make mistakes, and is going to keep them in this game. And hopefully he can provide a little bit more because they will need that to beat a great team like the Eagles.
1: Uh yeah, um, agreed there on Daniel Jones. All right, let's move on to the best quarterback matchup of the week with the Bengals and the Bills. What are you looking it's for? Be in this so one?
0: exciting. Yeah, what are you looking yeah. for? Uh well, for one, this is going to be a big rematch. We obviously know what happened with the Bills Bengals game earlier in this year. We don't need to recap that. But obviously, there's a lot riding in on this game. So just before I even get into quarterbacks, just very exciting matchup right here. Uh, but first, I'll talk about Joe Burrow here. And Joe Burrow, I was talking last week with a very stingy uh, Ravens defense. The Cincinnati Bengals started to stall a little bit. And I wouldn't say it was really Burrow's fault, but we saw uh, when... I don't know what necessarily the Ravens changed schematically, but the receivers just didn't seem to get open nearly as much. And the Bengals have almost never had this problem because they obviously have incredible talent, like uh, Jamar Chase, T Higgins, obviously. So I'm very intrigued to see if that carries over to this Buffalo matchup. Cause even if Burrow's playing well, he cannot be successful if that's what's happening. And, I think Buffalo is the perfect team to do it. They have a great defense across the board, and it may not be their strong suit, but secondary is definitely somewhere where they have a lot of talent. So that matchup is going to be very interesting for Burrow. Uh, But most importantly, we know that Bengals' offensive line is not great even this year, and Burrow does have to deal with a lot of sacks, and he's not the best at avoiding sacks either. And this Buffalo pass rush has been on a tear the whole year. Uh, they have pretty much killed everybody. And I expect a lot of the same with that D-line versus that Bengals offensive line. So I'm curious to see if Burrow can handle that in such a big game. Obviously, he's done it before last year. We saw it. But this Buffalo team, I feel like, is better than anyone other than the Rams that he played in the last year playoffs. So he's going to have a much shorter lease I think he's going to have to be in really, really incredible for the Bengals to win this one. And I don't think he's quite able to do it.
1: Yeah. His margin forever for error is really small. They're down almost all of their offensive line starters. And so, yeah, he has to do a lot of, a lot of heavy lifting in this game. Um, I wouldn't have the highest expectations, but Hey, um, he is the King of exceeding expectations. So we'll see what he has in store for us. Um, and moving on to the other side of the ball with, with Josh Allen. Um, yeah. I, I mean, the bills, the bills are, or like an extremely aggressive offense. Right. And we said that this Bengals team is, is really disciplined. Um, like an hour ago, um, we talked about how they might need to shift their approach against a team that is very uh, sound in their coverage. Doesn't let up explosive plays to quarterbacks in the run game, really. Um, and so, probably look for the Bills to attack the middle of the field as their source of explosive plays, which Josh Allen can obviously do. Uh, He can do everything except uh, keep the ball out of harm's way, but really like um, look for them to nickel and dime their way up and down the field, um, which Josh Allen has kind of added that to his repertoire this year. And then if the Bengals start playing tighter, look for them to take their deep shots. And Allen is maybe uh, one of the best ever at, at doing that. So, um yeah we'll we'll see how this goes I expect uh the Bills to have a decent day on offense it just depends on whether Allen puts the ball in harm's way a lot or not
0: yeah I, I also expect a successful day of offense for Allen and the Bills uh throughout the year the Cincinnati defense hasn't been bad but they're not on the elite tier of defenses that a lot of these units have uh at this stage of the remaining teams so uh I do think Allen and the Bills continue to roll. I uh, I am a little bit worried by Allen's turnover uh proneness so to say. Uh we've talked about it extensively obviously, but in games like these, uh we've already seen a couple turnovers here and there can be the biggest factor when you're playing in with two great teams, two incredible quarterbacks who can make anything happen. And Burrow's obviously a lot better than Allen at making sure to not turn the ball over. So I'm interested to see how often Allen does it this game because we know he's going to do it. That's what he always does. And whether or not he he's going to throw the game away. And I'm interested to see uh, how many big explosive plays he does come out and uh, get to offset those uh turnover worthy plays, because Cincinnati is a little bit prone to giving up those big plays. So I'm interested to see if Buffalo can do it. And one factor that I haven't necessarily checked on, but could be interesting to look at, is it's winter in Buffalo where this game's obviously gonna be. Uh the conditions might not be the best. So I'm interested to see how both teams deal with it if that situation arises.
1: Yeah, I totally agreed with what you said there. And so let's move on to um maybe the most interesting matchup overall, um in the Cowboys and the Niners historic rivalry here. Uh, I know you're pumped for this one. Yeah.
0: Battle so of the 90s.
1: Yeah. So let's look into uh let's look into Brock Purdy. What do you think about uh, what he can do this game?
0: Well, I think this is going to be Brock Purdy's toughest test by far. Because I think this Cowboys defense is much better than anybody he's faced. He hasn't really faced a whole lot of competition now looking back. but So this is definitely a big step up from what he's been dealing with. I think one issue off the bat is going to be his lack of pocket awareness. Because with Micah Parsons and Demarcus Lawrence, we obviously know this Dallas defensive line is very good and especially Michael Parsons is going to make you pay when you see Brock Purdy turn his back to the defense and literally just spin around running aimlessly. Uh, It does create for good plays sometimes. It makes things look cool every now and then, but it is very worrying the way he runs around because he seems to do it without any care for anything. It's just a little bit reckless, and... Uh, I think this Dallas defense is prepared to take advantage when he does something like that. And speaking of his recklessness, he isn't, this isn't recklessness, but with his lack of physical tools, he does sometimes struggle with his accuracy, uh, especially downfield. And we know that Dallas has one of the best uh, ball hawking corners in the league in Trayvon Diggs. So I'm interested to see, uh, if this defense is able to punish Purdy for that because he's been doing it kind of all year where he's getting throwing the ball downfield very willingly but almost never getting punished for uh, passes a little bit here and there because of just how absolutely open his guys are, how talented the San Francisco offense is. But this Dallas defense is definitely, especially Trayvon Diggs, as I said, definitely in more of a position to take advantage of those mistakes. So it's really a balance of how many mistakes will Purdy make, uh, how bad will it affect them, or will he be able to cut it down and just be the game manager he needs to be to win this game?
1: Yeah, uh, agreed there with what you said about Purdy, and then let's move on to Dak. Um, yeah, let, let's. Uh, this this one's pretty interesting because I don't think that the Niners have the greatest corner situation in, uh in the league, but I think that the presence of Fred Warner, um, we mentioned it when the Niners were going up against the Dolphins uh, back in week 12, maybe it was, um, but he just kind of eliminates so much of what teams want to do in the middle of the field because he's so good in coverage. And so I think that kind of takes away Schultz. It can take away a bunch of these like motion type of passes that they do with CD Lamb, which they're so good off of. Um, and just really any like, like drag routes across the middle of the field, which Dak's pretty good at throwing and, and stuff like that. Um, those are kind of much more difficult because of Fred Warner. So they'll probably have to look to attack on the outside. Um, And knowing that the Niners can just kind of play that play to that and just let Fred Warner handle the rest. And so I'm interested to see if Dak can win from the, on the outside. Um, That's just how it'll, how it'll have to happen.
0: Yeah. I think this will be a much rougher game for the Cowboys than that last Bucks game. And, Really anything's going to be a tougher matchup for them, but I do think the San Francisco de- defense matches up very well against them. Uh, one of San Francisco's strong suit is obviously their ability to stop the run, uh, which did look a little shaky last week with Kenneth Walker, but I think much of Dallas' offense revolves around that uh, little pollard zika duo they've created. I think without that, their offense becomes way too one-dimensional with it just being CeeDee Lamb. Their other weapons aren't particularly worrying. And I do think the Niners match up great against guys like Pollard. It's typically like the speed running backs we do a better job of stopping because the Niners don't necessarily have a physically imposing guy on that defensive line or linebacker core. It's just a lot of very big athletic guys. And when you have good side-to-side running backs like Tony Pollard uh, they're not necessarily going to have a lot of success. It's the guys like Josh Jacobs or a Kenneth Walker, maybe even a Zeke, probably not Zeke, because he's nowhere near as good as those guys. But it's those types of uh, uh brands of running backs that really gash the Niners. So I think as far as preventing the run, they match up well. And as far as the Dak goes... Uh, you said it yourself. The uh, Niners' cornerbacks aren't the best, but I do think Charverus Ward can do a decent job on uh C.D. Lamb, and as I said, the other uh receivers on this team are not much to worry about. So I do think Dak is gonna have a long day in finding people to throw to unless the Niners bring in a lot of pressure and leave guys as man, which they don't do too much. So. I'm expecting a bit of a long day for Dak, unless he comes out and plays exactly like he did last week. Because in which case, I don't know if anyone's stopping that.
1: Yeah, that, that kind of quarterback play is pretty unbeatable. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah, I guess that's about
1: it. That, that wraps up our episode, uh, our reviews and previews. Make sure to like. Long one. Uh, yeah, make sure to leave a like, subscribe, do what you need to do on any platform. Yeah, any last thoughts that you have, bud?
0: Nah, I got it all up my system. I'm good to go. Just everyone, come back and listen, please, because yeah. All right,
1: all. all right. Thank you guys so much for listening. That's all for me. That's from all from Body. Uh See you guys
0: next week. So. Yeah, we could-